I'm Chelsea. I'm Deidre. And we're giving you a million murders. a guest star today. Yes. Her name do. is Victoria. Yes, Victoria. Why are you saying <laughs> I always say your name like that. Hi. How are you today? I'm sleepy. Slight, yeah, it's early. You've been here since 6.30. These are out here at 8. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, everybody. Oh, I did man. not have it together, but I made it. So today... We have Victoria here, so you'll have another person who can have, like, throw their, like, theories, you know, on the case as we go on, see what she thinks. Mm-hmm. So, anytime you're like, wait a minute, you just go in. Just don't cuss. <laughs> I'll try not to. If you do, I mean, I can always edit it up. Okay, so today's case is going to be... um. A case involved with the police. So, it's a touchy... It is a very touchy case. So, if there's a certain point into the case where you just get to where you can't listen to it, it's fine. Just, you know. But I feel like cases like these aren't being talked about as much Mm -hmm. or enough. So, I figure... And I came across this case. I think it was on YouTube. Mm, Okay. And I started watching it. I was like, ooh, I was like, this is a good case. And it's not a lot of, um, what's the word? There's not a lot of uh, coverage really on it. Mm-hmm. So I chose to do this case. And it is about a boy named DJ Henry. Mm-hmm. So this case is very upsetting. This case is a police br- brutality on a young black man. So it happened a while ago. And a lot of people don't know about it. And I feel like they should. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned before, there's not a lot of um, cases like this that are talked about like they should be. So, Dan Roy Henry, Henry Jr., otherwise known as Danny or DJ. <clears throat> most people called him DJ and his mom calls him Danny. So, I'm just going to call him DJ because that's what he liked more. Like mm-hmm. his friends and stuff. So, DJ was born on October 29th of 1989. He grew up in eastern Massachusetts. I always say that funny. (laughs) He was very close with his family. DJ was the oldest of his family. He was the middle child. He was not the middle child. The middle child was named Kyle. And he also (laughs) had a sister named Amber who was the youngest. His father's name, Dan Roy, or Dan, and his mother's name is Angela. Okay. So, Dan and Angela have built a really great life for themselves. They worked incredibly hard for their kids to have the best possible life that they could. Mm -hmm. DJ was an awesome kid. He was always willing to help out his family with chores, you know, whatever they needed around the house, including taking care of his younger brother and sister. Mm -hmm. So, his mom described DJ as a very gentle spirit, that he was a really kind kid. He was that selfless type of person who would give you the shirt off his back. So that kind of makes it harder to hear what happened to him. Yeah. You know, you have, which, t- yeah, his family saying it, but his friends say it as well. Like, he would do anything for anybody. Oh. 
He always did the right thing, and he always tried to be the best possible example he could for other people. Like I said, he loved his family. They really were like a team in a way, and he even had tattoos on his wrist that said family first. Mm. So he was that type of guy. You know, their family spent a lot of time together. They were always supportive of each other from their creatives to sports, but really they were always there for each other, always. Mm Mm-hmm. So, DJ graduated from Oliver Ames High School in Easton, Massachusetts <laughs> in June of 2007. So, after that, he ended up playing football at Pace University in Pleasantville, New York. That's where that girl's from. No, it's Pleasantville. Oh, that's right. Shoot. <laughs> so, so, at this time, <laughs> Lord have mercy, at this time, DJ's 20. He's in college, and it's homecoming weekend. DJ's family decided to drive up to Pleasantville to cheer him on in the homecoming football game. They drove up to the school, watched the game. It was really fun. They headed home. But early the next morning on October 17th, 2010, DJ's mom and dad woke up to someone knocking on their front door. It ended up being two police officers. They came and told them that the night before DJ had been... That the night before... DJ had been in a really bad accident and was at the hospital. They freaked out, of course, you know, and immediately immediately called the hospital. And it was then that a nurse told them that DJ wasn't just in an accident, that DJ was shot by someone who was supposed to protect him, a police officer, and he had already died. Oh. So the police are like, your son's been in an accident. And then they find out from the nurse that he's already dead. And I think they're two hours away, two or three uh-huh. So as soon as they found out the news, they were completely shocked, devastated, confused, you know. Mm-hmm. The whole family piled into the car. They said they didn't even know if they locked up the front door. They just headed out, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. So they headed straight to Westchester Medical Hospital. Mm-hmm. And this is about a three-hour car ride. So imagine driving with the news, not understanding what happened, having so many questions. You know, you're shocked, confused. You have to make a three-hour drive to New York with all this on your mind. Once they got to the hospital, they sat with DJ, they prayed, they said their goodbyes to him, and their sister, Amber, she was actually not home at the time. Mm -hmm. So she met them at the hospital. So she's by herself, Mm -hmm. on her way to say goodbye to her brother that's already gone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I could not. Mm -mm. That would be hard. I mean, I would, but that would be hard. Uh, As soon as they somewhat processed his death, because obviously... It takes a while to process something like that, especially how you find out. Mm-hmm. Um, they said goodbye, had some time to get their heads together, and Dan, the dad, immediately called the police investigator to see what had happened. And this is when they told them that the reason DJ had been shot was because he had attempted to run over two police officers, and they had no choice but to shoot him. What? Yeah. So their family was totally in shock, disbelief. You know, they knew that that could not be the full story. Right. There's no way that their son would just randomly decide to drive his car into a police officer. You know, the whole story didn't make any sense. They knew that there had to be something missing. They had just seen him at the homecoming game, and he was doing fine. He was emotionally fine. He was happy. He was going out with his friends that night to celebrate homecoming weekend, and that's, you know, the last that they knew. Mm -hmm. So DJ's best friend, Brandon, was with him that night. And so when Brandon got to the hospital, he was able to tell the family what really happened. And what he said was that the police had it all wrong. 
Brandon explained that there was a fight in a bar that they were at, and they were not involved in the fight. They mm-hmm. were just there, you know, it was mm-hmm. somebody else. Um, and I'll talk more about that later. Okay. But they cleared the bar, and Brandon said that they were trying to leave. Him, DJ, and a few other friends were waiting outside of the bar in a car getting ready to leave, which was, I'm pretty sure it was DJ's car they were in. So this is when a police officer walked up to the car, gave him kind of a signal to move forward because they were in a fire lane. So Brandon said as they were leaving, they slowly started pulling away from the bar. In only seconds, a police officer jumped on top of their car and started shooting through the windshield. Brandon himself was shot in the arm. And at first, their family was super confused, you know, because this makes no sense either to them. If you guys were just in a fire lane and moving out of it, why would an officer just jump on the car and start shooting through the windshield? Yeah. So they just couldn't wrap their minds around the story that Brandon was telling them. However, Brandon and Brandon insisted that that's what truly happened and that the police officer had no right to shoot. So the family ended up going to the Mount Pleasant Police Department with this information to talk with them and try to figure out what actually happened. Mm-hmm. However... By this point, Police Chief Lewis Alargo had already held a press conference discussing this incident. This is before he even talked to the family at all. He went out and pushed out their narrative, the police's narrative. He said that around 1.20 that morning, police received a call that there was a disturbance at a bar named Finnegan's Grill. Hmm. They were told that there was a fight happening, and he said that a group of officers went out to check things out. They came up to the scene, and the bar was pretty much cleared out by the point by the time they got there. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an uh, there's a <laughs> there's an audio recording from a police scanner that said that there was a group of people hanging outside the parking lot, and there was a car with some people inside, which was DJ's car. He said at that time, an officer walked up to their car and asked them to move out of their fire out of the fire lane, just as Brandon had said. So that was those lined up. Mm-hmm. But their version of events was that DJ then took off speeding away from the scene right towards an officer. They cl- they then claimed DJ hit the officer. The officer flew on top of his windshield and had no choice at that point but to shoot a bunch of th- times through the windshield. Mm. How did the officer have enough time, if he's getting hit, how did the officer have enough time to pull his weapon? I don't know. And shoot if he's getting hit. Makes sense, right? (laughs) I'm like, uh... So Brandon and other witnesses there said that this was not true and it also made no sense. So I think it was Brandon... I think it was maybe three total of his friends that was with him, so four counting DJ. Mm -hmm. Why would DJ just speed off after being so calm all night? You know, like his mom said everything was fine. His friend said he was having a good time. But... Uh, Brandon said that he was only going like 10 to 15 miles per hour. He was just slowly pulling away, nothing crazy. And that's why they were also shocked and confused when the officer just jumped on the car and starts shooting. Yeah. He said they did not hit him. So DJ's parents are hearing two stories and they're obviously really mad at this point because the police chief had already made a statement to the public and put their version of events, you know, out there as the truth when they've not even spoken to the family at all. So the next day, the chief gave another press conference, and this is when he revealed that the officer involved in the shooting was named Aaron Hess. They also found out in addition to Aaron shooting into the car, another officer had shot at the vehicle. His name was Ronald Beckley. 
And we'll get more into that, Ronald guy, later on. Okay. So the family was, so they said that Aaron was the one that was the, in the front shooting at the car, but he was also there shooting at the vehicle as well. So just remember that, Ronald guy. Mm-hmm. So the family was just devastated. You know, they were angry. They felt like this was not the true story that was being pushed out. His father, Dan, said that it felt like they were trying to make DJ look like a bad guy, like a thug mm-hmm. who needed to be stopped, who needed to be shot. Right. So they ended up taking or talking to another friend that was in the car that night, and his name was Desmond Hines. And he told the exact same story. They were all at the bar. Everything was fine. Fight broke out, which they were not involved in. And there's literally footage of DJ and his friends at the bar. And DJ seems completely fine. He's not fighting or anything. And he calmly walks out of the bar. The The bartender called the cops. The car tender. <laughs> called the cops. And six officers showed up to the scene. DJ, Brandon, and Desmond were in the car waiting for the other two friends to come out of the bar. So it was Brandon, Desmond, DJ. So there was five of them all together. There was two other friends <clears throat> that they were waiting on. So... Then the officer comes up, taps on the window, tells him to move out of the fire lane. So they did. DJ pulls out. He even said 10 to 15 miles an hour, whatever, and starts making his way out of the area. Desmond said that the officer was already pointing the gun at their car as they were approaching. They said that it happened really fast, that in only seconds, Aaron had jumped onto their hood, the police officer, Mm -hmm. and started shooting into the car. So after DJ was hit... He obviously lost control of the vehicle, and it sort of slowed down and veered off and eventually hit a police car. I mean, he got shot like it, you know. So once the car stopped, two other officers pulled DJ out of the car. And this, the the next part of this, like explaining what happened after this, it's kind of like a trigger warning. Mm -hmm. So just a heads up on that. So they pulled DJ out of the car, put him in handcuffs. When they should have been calling the ambulance, you know. Yeah, he's been shot. Like, y'all shot him. But instead, they put him in handcuffs, and then they put him on the ground. And he was left there alone with no one checking on him or attending to him. So Desmond said that another police officer pulled him out of the car, slammed him to the ground. And as Desmond was on the ground, he was pleading with the officer, saying, please help our friend. And we did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And at that point, they put a gun to the back of his head and said, shut the F up. Wow. Okay. And the the best police award goes to. Yeah. Just kidding. Sorry. It's hard to not say stuff sometimes. Yeah. So there was obviously a tone of noise. What is this? (laughs) (laughs) There was obviously a ton of noise from this. And people from the bar came over to see what had happened. Yeah. So one of their other friends, Daniel Parker, walked out of the bar. And that's where he saw his friend DJ on the ground in handcuffs. And he wasn't moving at all. So he was totally alone in his final moments without anyone concerned to help him. Finally, some other random woman from the bar ran over to him and started trying to resuscitate him. This is when Daniel, who was CPR certified, the friend Daniel. Mm Mm-hmm. Asked if he could go to help DJ, and the cop told him no. He's CPR certified. Yeah. And he says no. Not only did he say no, he said, get the F back. Yeah. And the cops are CPR certified as yeah. well. So, mm-hmm. like. So, there, I mean, there was no sense in his friend having to do that. The officer should have done that. While they called the ambulance, 
while they're on their way, but they didn't they didn't do yeah, that. Yeah, but they didn't do anything. Okay. So eventually they noticed that blood was coming out of DJ's mouth. And they knew at that moment that they had killed him. Daniel starts screaming at the officers, you killed him. And this is when he was also thrown to the ground and put in handcuffs, which luckily he didn't, they didn't shoot him because, you know, it wasn't until 10 minutes after he was shot that an ambulance showed up and tried to resuscitate him. But by that time, it was obviously too late. So DJ's funeral was held on February, Friday. (laughs) October 29th, 2010, at the Boston Convention and Ex- I can't never say this word Exhibition Center mm. in Massachusetts. <laughs> Massachusetts. Massachusetts. <laughs> I've always said it like that. I don't know. So this day was extra special as it would have been his 21st birthday. Oh. So the service included tons of people speaking out with great memories they had about dj as well as everyone including their church choir singing happy birthday to him and eating cake trying to celebrate his life oh sad yeah but everyone was just so devastated and so confused and their family knew that this was just the beginning of their new fight for justice Mm -hmm. so obviously at this point dj's parents are hearing two different stories once from the police and one from dj's friends and the one from the police they It was already a press conference. They didn't even, you know. So, this is when they decided to hire a really good attorney, Michael Sussman, who helped them out with the case. At the same time that they got their lawyer, or the guy they hired, Aaron had also hired a lawyer of his own. Uh, I keep moving the wrong way. Hell. (laughs) As As months went on, the wet... The Westchester DA's office started an an investigation on the case, which this is standard practice, you know, it's just not anything special. Mm -hmm. Uh, In January of 2011, a jury was put together to to determine whether or not Officer Hess needed to shoot DJ or not. So DJ's father was called forth to testify. It was really ridiculous, but they only asked him questions about DJ and his drinking. So we know where this is going. So... DJ was about to turn 21, but he was under the age at this time. At the time this happened, and he asked if he knew that DJ drank occasionally. Of course, he said yes. I mean, he's a college student. He did drink that night, and we'll get a little more into that. Mm-hmm. So, about a month later, Dan got a call that Aaron Hess was not charged with anything. Shocker. Mm-hmm. So they were not going to take this as a final answer, and their attorney started right away working to fight back. And after doing more work, they eventually got the attention of the DOJ, which is the Department of Justice, if you don't know. It was announced that they were going to come in and do a separate investigation on the case to see if there was a possible federal crime. If there was a civil rights violation, it could be considered a federal crime. So it wasn't going to be easy, you know, to prove this. But in order for Aaron to have to be prosecuted, they have to prove that, beyond a reasonable doubt, that Aaron had willfully killed DJ. So, we know how this is going to go, mm-hmm. I'm sure. So, um, I was like, and you will not believe this. But, <laughs> a, but a few weeks after all this, Aaron Hess was named Officer of the Freaking Year. Oh, wow. It's like, okay. You just Officer so- of the year? You just shot a 20-year-old and killed him in cold blood. Celebrate you. Yeah. 
So the police later came out and said that the public wasn't supposed to know that he got Officer of the Year. Oh, well. And that it was just intended to boost Aaron's morale because he had a tough year. Oh, oh I bet he did. He, you know, shot someone and killed them. So, yeah. Boost his morale. I was like, I'll give him a boost. <laughs> so, obviously, their family was beyond pissed at this point, And, I mean, I am too. I was like, as am I. <laughs> okay. They're handling this terribly. You know, you, how are you going to give a police officer who shot a man in cold blood for no reason? Officer of the year. I don't understand. So, Aaron Hess was 33 at the time that DJ was killed. He had served in the Marines for four years, and he was a police officer since 2000. So, he had been a police officer for 10 years when this happened. Mm-hmm. So, while the DLJ are doing their investigation, Dan and Angela filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Aaron Hess, the village of Pleasantville where he worked, and the town of Mount Pleasant where DJ was shot. In August of 2012, Hess went to the U.S. District Courthouse in Westchester for a deposition in the wrongful death case that the parents had filed. At this time, did I say something wrong? <laughs> deposition. You said deposition. Oh, hell. Well, <laughs> it's not. It wasn't a bad one. It wasn't a colonial. <laughs> we all know it. That ain't spelled how it's supposed to be. So, at this time, Aaron has told his version of the story. Are you ready for his version? Yes. All right. So, he claimed that he was standing in the road and that DJ's car was headed towards him. And he claims he yelled at him to stop several times, but he didn't. He said when they didn't stop, he had no choice but to start shooting because he feared for his life. And that is the big part of this case. Mm -hmm. Is whether or not Aaron has truly needed to shoot. Or not. So, did he really have a reason to believe that his life is in danger? Why was he not able to just move out of the way? Well, Aaron claims that he didn't even know that DJ was black. Okay. Okay. He said that he just saw silhouettes in the car and didn't know who was shooting, who he was shooting at. He says this for a reason, obviously, whether it's true or not, but we have no way to determine that. So, but he obviously said this to avoid it being a possible civil rights violation so he's just kind of working around the you know Mm -hmm. system so during the wrongful death suit a huge thing happened in the case and the other officer ronald beckley remember he was one of the officers that was shooting too Mm -hmm. he had shot at the car came forward and told a totally different version of events he said that what the police chief said was actually inaccurate If you remember, the chief said another officer shot into the car. He said that he was not shooting at the car to try to stop the car or the people in it. He claims that he was actually shooting at Aaron Hess because he didn't realize he was a fellow officer. He thought it was someone wearing dark clothes and started attacking a vehicle and shooting into it. Lord have mercy. Now, what does that tell you? Obviously, the car wasn't doing anything wrong. He he thinks that the cop seen, is doing something wrong, and he doesn't even realize. And he's a he cop. didn't even realize it was Aaron. So, like, one, this is crazy because, like, how do you not realize? That so you that's would think that cop? would help in the case, right? Yeah, that should help the case. Like, another cop was like, "No, I wasn't shooting at the car. I was shooting at Aaron because I thought he was attack. Like, it 
from, from what you're talking. I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also like, how do you, now that's a cop. How do you not see that though? Like y'all, y'all struggling out here. I know, it must have been <laughs> y'all dark. can't see nothing apparently. Well, he thought that civilians were in danger and he needed to shoot at the person who was on top of the car. Yeah. So even to an officer that was there, it looked like Aaron was the aggressor in the situation and Ronald ended up retiring three months after DJ's death and was denied any pension pay. Wow. Yeah. Wait, who? No, Ronald. Oh, I thought it was Aaron. No, Ronald. He retired after three months of DJ's death and he was denied pension pay. That's now what did he do? He didn't do anything wrong. Nope. Because the way he what how his version went, Aaron oh, was yeah. Oh, yes. oh, so they yeah, so now they ain't gonna y'all uh-huh. gonna pay me my pension after all this hard work? Okay. So Aaron, if you're wondering, never went back to work because he had a knee injury that night and he was put on medical leave for two years before he finally retired. But he oh. get, he getting paid, he getting his little money. Oh, you getting your pension, officer of the year. Well, as the investigation continued, eventually the police decided to stage a reenactment of the situation to determine how fast DJ possibly could have been going because Aaron said he was going full pedal to the metal. Mm-hmm. But Brennan and Desmond said that he was only going like 10 to 15. But soon footage came out from that night and it showed that DJ, using his brakes, mm-hmm. his brake lights went on went on as he was approaching Aaron he was trying to slow down. He was trying to stop. So, you got this proof mm-hmm. on the camera. He definitely was not speeding at him the way that Aaron claimed. And soon, DJ's toxicology mm, is that how you say mm-hmm. it? Okay. Yes. Report came back, and they were all pretty shocked about this. But his blood alcohol level was point thirteen, so he was driving under the influence. Um. But they said it was weird, though, because his friends said that they didn't see him drink that night at all, mm-hmm. other than when they were pre-gaming before they left for the bar. Yeah. So, I don't know. Oh. But, still, proof in the video showed he was not speeding. He was slowing down as he was approaching this officer. Yeah. Even if he was driving under the influence or not, he was his head was on, right? I mean, he was... Yeah, he wasn't just like... Like, all all driving under the influence is bad, but, like, he wasn't, like, careening down the street. Right. Or anything. Like, you can't blame it on him being drunk. No. Like, he was breaking. He saw him. Mm -hmm. Was slowing down. So, just because he was drinking does not mean an officer had the right to jump on the hood of his car and start shooting at him and kill him. Even if he was driving under the influence, he did not deserve to die, period. Yeah. He was also acting completely fine. Even the bartender said he was acting completely normal. Uh, there's footage of him at the bar where he, where he seems he isn't impaired at all. He's acting fine. However, Aaron's lawyer says that DJ had a fake ID that night and that he was drinking and that's why he was trying to get out of there so fast. But he wasn't trying that's to get Aaron, out of there so that's fast. That's what Aaron, the police Aaron's lawyer. Stupid. <sighs> But, of course, once that footage was found where he was clearly breaking, the whole story of him being drunk and flooring it forwards, or flooring it towards the officer, made no sense. Mm -hmm. So, by 2015, four years after the DOJ started their investigation, they came to the conclusion that they they were not going to give Aaron Hess any civil rights charges. 
They claim that Aaron did what he had to do in the situation that he performed to the best of his ability, given the circumstances. Of course, their family and tons of other people following this case were just infuriated. As am I. Yeah. What do y'all think so far? I can't cuss. <laughs> you can say but. And... <laughs> you can say but. <laughs> you can say but. I think it's BS. And whenever Aaron does the testimony, did he even say anything about being on the vehicle? Did he? I think he did. I think he said that he was, uh, they were speeding toward him, so he had to jump on the car. I think that's what he said. When he, yeah, he said, well, he said he had no other choice. Yeah, but he had to, no other choice. You know, shoot them. But I don't remember him saying anything about him being on the car. But the other cops said he was. Yeah. But I mean, no, this is ridiculous. Like, there's so much proof. There in the pudding. In the pudding. The proof is in the pudding, and the pudding just getting thrown out in and the that, trash. Yeah, that's what the is thing. going on. Like there's proof, and people are acting like there's no proof. I don't understand. Yeah, that's I'm like, um, makes me want to be a lawyer and a police officer at the same time. Law cop and a DOJ and a DA, <laughs> all of it. <laughs> you want to be the Department of Justice? I do. So in 2016, the family decided that the law. Why do I keep doing that? It's like running. It's like a run-on sentence. <laughs> In 2016, the family decided they were going to settle their wrongful death lawsuit with the village of Pleasantville and Aaron. And the village of Pleasantville ended up having to pay them $6 million. Their family said that all of this money is in a trust. They call it blood money. Mm. They do not use it. (laughs) They do not use it. They are saving it. They feel like, honestly, it wasn't enough. How can you put a dollar amount on your kid's life? You know what I mean? Yeah, you can't. So in 2017, Henry's also settled, especially with your kid being killed by someone that's supposed to protect them. Mm-hmm. So in 2017, Henry's also the Henry's also settled the wrongful death suit with the town of Mount Pleasantville. Mount Pleasant. With the town of Mount Pleasant <laughs> for an undisclosed amount. So who knows how much that was? Mm-hmm. Also, the town of Mount Pleasant said that they would like to privately apologize to the family for what had happened like why not just make a public i want it to be public yeah like i don't I want a public and a private mm-hmm. apology actually i look i was like first of all this is a public situation you publicly <laughs> put out wrongful information in the beginning <laughs> they made their son out to be a bad person and it would only be right if they made a public apology i tell them to take that private apology and shove it up their butthole mm-hmm. so you can say butthole <laughs> so in the end um aaron hess was not charged at all. He retired from the police force and he ended up finally getting a job as a security job, which I don't care that he finally got a job. Yeah, who cares? The Henry family is still hurting to this day. They're still active in Black Lives Matter and the entire movement movement as a whole. They also created a charity to honor their son and it's called DJ Henry Dream Fund. And the fund sponsored children all throughout New England who need financial assistance to get into like summer programs, sports activities, stuff like that. So for so far, the fund has given away a half a million dollars. Jay-Z actually partnered with multiple families, including the Henrys, and they took out a full page ad across the country in dedication to the recent murder of George Floyd. 
The ad is captioned in dedication to George Floyd, hashtag justice for George Floyd, if I could talk. The letter is signed by Jay-Z's parent, Jay-Z, parents of others who have been killed, and both of DJ's parents. DJ is just one of many who have been killed in an act of police violence, police brutality. This case is ending with no justice and no peace. Yeah. Wow. That's so sad. It is very sad. Aaron loses I was getting mad. <laughs> Y'all should have heard me talk. I was like, this is what I was like. I was typing, you know, getting like a little. I was getting mad. I was like. <laughs> and mom looked at me. She's like, what's she doing? I'm like, I'm mad. But yeah, that was a. But yeah. I just. I've never heard that case. Mm-mm. And I didn't. From what I've seen, it wasn't known really. Like a lot of people didn't know about it. And I know we're not like on a high platform on our little podcast but there are people that we don't know that listen and they may not have known about it and then yeah. they can yeah, I didn't know about it. you didn't know about it Mm-mm. and we were i mean we were two years younger than this dude yeah mm-hmm. like, i don't remember seeing that on the news no nothing no it probably was probably i wasn't. mean yeah well and it happens so often now that like <laughs> you can't keep up with all of them i feel like we didn't really hear much about police brutality that much though either no we uh-uh. didn't we didn't but it's it's definitely a real thing and it happens to everybody mm-hmm. like it's like obviously racial profiling and you know all of those sorts of things it's obviously something that's you know very well known but just police brutality in general is a very bad thing and it's something that you know we just need I don't know things just need to change everybody be nice to everybody it's just terrible it's terrible it's terrible for the families I'm still upset that Ronald did not get his pension how dare I they know. justice for Ronald too. justice for Ronald too. justice for everybody like <laughs> Victoria's not Victoria's like but I hope that knee said, injury turns into gangrene yeah. or something. <laughs> they said it's just terrible. It's terrible. And, you know, I'm wishing DJ's family peace for sure because they deserve it. Because yep. they didn't get justice. That's for yeah. sure. Those are what makes the case harder, too. They don't get, no one gets justice. Yeah. But at least they can help others, too. Yeah. Because yeah. they are. They That's are helping funny. a lot of people. Yeah, so that's good. Well, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, requests, stories of your own, you can email us at amillionmurders at gmail.com. Yes, and you can go to our Instagram at amillionmurders and look at the people, the places, the things that we're talking about. And we have our A Million Murders Facebook group. So you can, you know... Just find that and add yourself. It's a public, you know, a public group. And welcome our new members. We've went yes, up hi. 40, 40 some people since, I think, Thursday or something like that. Mm. Welcome. Hello, everybody. And we've got a few, a few people on there that are inviting their friends. Yes. So thank you for that. Invite the people at work. Thanks. Yes. Hello, Victoria's work people. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everyone. 
So yeah. Tell me something good. <laughs> A million murders. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> how was your first set in, Victoria? Good. She don't. <laughs> she don't talk much. I don't. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you come back for. A million more.